and and this man was a, an amazing man to this hour of the day he is out giving talks about his forgiveness he experienced having a son being shot while he was delivering a pizza because he was working for a pizzeria and and he went to deliver a pizza and a teenager opened up the door and the first thing that kid did is to uh shoot the person that was bringing the pizza and this was a a student from a university you know having a a, a side job delivering pizza and this youngster went out and killed this the the son these men founded in 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 his journey in 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 his inquiry to forgive the offender to forgive the person the, the child that had killed his son and realize that the that child was a victim of society as well Welcome to Unleash Thyself. I am your host, Constantine Morun, and today we have the privilege of welcoming Yvette Durazo, a maestro in the realms of conflict resolution. Yvette stands at the forefront of fostering harmonious workplace environments. Her innovative techniques have revolutionized how organizations approach trust, engagement, and inclusivity. She's not just a consultant. Yvette is a passionate educator and an author who believes in the transformative power of constructive problem-solving and communication. With an impressive academic portfolio, Yvette instructs in prestigious institutions like the University of California and Portland State University, shaping the minds of future leaders in human resource management, conflict resolution, and mediation. Her educational background combined with her practical experience makes her insights invaluable. In today's episode, Yvette and I We'll explore the common roots of workplace conflicts, change management, and discuss the importance of leadership in cultural transformation. We'll also delve into her perspectives on the humane approach to conflict resolution and how organizations can embrace change more effectively. Additionally, Yvette will share insights from her book on Conflict IQ, a crucial guide to understanding and navigating conflicts fearlessly. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share your thoughts in the comments. Let's begin. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself, the podcast that inspires and empowers you to unleash your full potential. I am thrilled to welcome Yvette Durazo to the show. Yvette, we can't wait to hear more about the experiences and insights that have led you to where you are today and your Unleash moment, the moment you knew you're on your own path to becoming the best version of yourself. Yvette, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast and for open up the doors for your audience. Yes, it's our pleasure, Yvette. So I know you specialize in conflict resolution, right? That's one big area of expertise for you. How did you come up to that career? Because I would imagine when you grow up as a child, very few think of, ooh, I want to resolve conflicts when I grow up. Yes, that is correct. Um, well, I, I bumped into a master's degree in negotiation and conflict resolution and peace building that it's, a, that it's part of the alternative dispute resolution field. And I fell in love with the, with the master's degree. Actually, I was looking to go into an MBA. And when I found this other degree, I decided that I wanted to go ahead and do that degree. And it talked to my heart because Ever since I finished my, my bachelor's degree, I started uh, working with nonprofit organizations. And I would see well-meaning people coming into these nonprofit organizations, uh, wanting to do good for the community through those organizations. But then people are people and they would be having issues and problems. And I remember that uh, I would be called in. Somehow they felt trust in me that I might be able to uh, provide some insight and figure it out how to help people in the organization and how to get along better. And I never thought about myself a conflict resolution person. Uh, the most that I would think is that I had, a, you know, a, a high level of empathy and that I like to listen to people, uh, but not nothing like, you know, getting an entire degree and doing the work that I do now. As, as I went to my degree and things unfold and I start learning more about the degree and all of the areas that it touches, because this degree, it's so unique because it has, a, 
you know, it has pieces of the field of anthropology, has pieces of field of social, uh, social studies, and then psychology. So as I was learning more and more about these degree, it started to make sense. And then, you know, my degree was very experiential, meaning that I would go to the course and, and I would study, and then I would have to do things in order to make sure that I was embedding the information well. And through journaling, I realized that ever since I was a child, uh, ever since I was born, I was kind of like a mediator and a negotiator for resources because I come from a, a, a family of seven. Yes. That's a beautiful uh, and inspiring story, Yvette. And I, and I like this idea that you are following your heart and you're doing something that really truly speaks to your heart and what brings you joy and happiness every day. So that's beautiful to hear. Now, when it comes to the example you gave, the people working in the non-for-profit and ending up having people issues because people are people, like you said, what are you? What did you see back then as some common reasons why people were having conflict, even when they were so well intended behind their actions? Well, you know, a nonprofit organization brings uh, people from all walks of life, right, to come and do volunteer work and be part of the board, be part of the committees, and not only that these people have the willingness and wanting to become part of the movement of these nonprofit organizations, but they also come from their own level of expectation of what is it that they want in return as well. And, and that is where things uh, become a little bit uh, more confusing because people are not fully there just, just to do the, the work, right? They also have certain expectations and you're also dealing with people with certain levels of personalities and when we're talking about personalities we cannot leave aside people's egos so if you have people coming in to be part of a board they also want to make sure that you know they're doing good but they also want to make sure that they look good in the community that somehow being part of the board shows us a positive trait for their career development, either in their, their own company or if they own their own company, right? So you have embedded with all of these, uh, with all these things, people coming in with different wants, needs, personalities, egos, and needs, you know, all, all yeah. mixed up. Yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, I can only see that being true across the board. It doesn't matter if it's a non-for-profit or, you know, let's say the the business world, right? Where I work yes. in. Because everyone, like you said, has, of course, their own needs that come first and their own expectations and priorities. And those are not always transparent or obvious to, to everyone else. And when you talk about conflict resolution, what type of conflicts do you generally go in and help with? Are we talking about any type of conflict from, you know, the smallest one where there's a small disagreement to large ones where departments or heads of departments are clashing? That's a great question, you know, because, you know, whenever there's people in, there's two or more people, there's always a room for conflict. You know, conflict is kind of one of those things that is inevitable, inevitable right? It, we have to live with, with that. Um, and what I do with the work that I do, I can do work that it's preventative, helping organizations to build cultures that are inclusive, that feel like people belong so that they can be having less uh, friction with people. Then I also go in when, you know, the fires are already going and I can go in as a mediator to help individuals calm down, be able to look at different perspectives and be able to work together, you know, more amicable or professional in that environment for the betterment of the organization and those around them, right? Because not only is the situation with the individuals, but the people that experience that, you know, the bystanders. And I also work with organizations that said, you know, these happened and it was pretty bad and we don't want that to happen again. What else can we do? So I definitely can work with organizations in, in all aspects of their needs in order to make sure that, you know, the organization does something to contribute to having a more respectful, harmonious, civil workplace environment. Yeah, absolutely. No, I can definitely say that, Yvette. Thank you uh, for giving us some more of a picture of what it is that 
you specialize in. And now, for example, I, I saw something that you do as well, which is help organizations change, organization change management, which is something I do as part of my overall role at Microsoft where I work. But what I've come to realize is that a lot of the things that we apply in the business world can easily be applied at an individual level in our personal lives so we can become better versions of ourselves and be able to, like in your case, for example, deal better with conflict and be able to mediate our own conflicts or be able to remove ourselves from conflicts should the, should the case be. Now, let me ask you this. So with that in mind, what are some lessons that we can share with the audience at an individual level that you have learned from working with big organizations to deal with conflict? What are some things that people can do in their day-to-day life to either minimize the impact of conflict or even the amount of times that someone gets into a conflict? Yes. You mentioned something very key here, uh, change management. You know, in change management, uh, there are a, a lot of methodologies that you can use in order to implement change inside an organization, you know, inside of the department. But within that change process, right, you have the process of the organization of implementing the change. There is people, right? There is people. And whenever change happens, it's normal to people to feel anxious, fearful, uh, and go through a psychological curve that that we use to describe the, the phases in where how people go through change. What I would suggest that with regards to conflict, and change management, for example, is that organization needs to be aware that whenever minor change that you will do, it will create an impact on people. And if it's going to create an impact on people, it's how are you going to work with these individuals to walk them through a process of change? And a lot of organizations forget about that. They implement a new software. For example, they can implement a performance evaluation system, right? They can bring in a new staff or a new director or add another position to to the mix of the organization. So any single change that happens, it involves the effect that it will happen to people. And that it's important to people to organizations to realize, especially leaders, because they go in and they said, oh, we're going to implement a software and, you know, we're just going to train people that are going to implement the, the, the software and this is what we're going to be doing. But they forget about the overall people, people that are going to be impacted by it. And Hey, it's Constantine here. And I want to take a brief moment to truly thank you for being a part of this incredible journey of transformation. You are the reason we are creating this content. I see you and I appreciate you. Your support truly means the world to me. I want to ask you for a small favor. I'd love for you to join our mission by hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a thoughtful comment or review. Your engagement helps others discover these insights, and together we can continue to unlock the power of authenticity and personal transformation. And if you want to reach out directly to me, send me an email at constantine at unleashedthyself.com. I value any and all feedback. Thank you for being a part of this movement. Now, back to the episode. How would you go about communicating uh, to build trust and to facilitate that process of change so that it doesn't impact as negatively to people. Because unfortunately, change, it's, it's one of those things that affect people and not in a very positive way. You might have you know, people, troopers in the group that are more resilient, they're more flexible, they might benefitly, benefit greatly from the change and they're very in favor of it. But then you're going to have all these other people that feel uncomfortable with the change. They don't know. They don't quite grasp what's going on. And, and you need to make sure that that you take care of that. Yeah. And I mean, that answers part of the question. I love where you went with the change management because you're speaking my language. And I know that a lot of people listening to this want to say have a background in change management. But it's important to note that just because you work in an organization, at least the way I see it, just because I work for a large organization, doesn't mean I don't have a role to play in whatever change is being pushed across, either that I'm responsible for or others are responsible for. So looking at that, what I looked at my life and my 
career in organization change management is the idea that, okay, the organization will do something or not do, but the individuals have a choice as well, and they can do certain things to make their life easier. Okay. So let's look at the individual level. So people listening to us, because they'll be either working in an organization or working with an organization. What are some things they can do to make these changes easier and navigate the conflict that may arise? Well, leaders can always look for those uh, ambassadors, those champions that are having a knees with the process of the change, right? And those could be the people that can be supported so that they can support the rest of the people that are having challenges. You know, it could be through, first of all, it could be through a communicational channel process that the organization has in order to create that level of communication to make sure that everybody knows that change is coming, but yet reach out to people that most likely might have more difficulty with adopting to the change and in the leaders, you know, or you as the leader that it's implementing that change to keep an eye, who are going to be those people that are going to be faster to adopt the change and then use them as ambassadors so that the rest of the people will be uh, supported in that process. You know, there's, there's certain things in, in, in sociology in where individuals can influence other individuals, right? And we don't want, you know, we don't want the negative individual, the one that is dealing with the difficulty of adopting to things to influence the rest because that's chaotic, that's, you know, toxic. We don't want that. So as leaders is see who can we find in our teams that will embrace that the fastest And those are going to be the ones that you're going to utilize to keep influencing the rest. And then having those one-on-ones if necessary with those people that are having difficulty adopting. And then really doing surveys on your team or your organization. Because if there's going to be change, how is this change going to affect their levels of their skills? Do they need to be reskilled? Do they need to learn something? Do you need to teach them something? So before implementing change, it is important to survey people to make sure people will be able to adapt to the change or perhaps realize whether if there's going to be certain skills that they're going to have to develop and how is that going to be implemented and how are these people are going to be uh, retrained or provide those skills in order for them to feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can definitely resonate with that, Yvette, and thank you for sharing that. So that speaks at the organization level, that speaks at the leadership level, what they can do. Let's talk a bit about what I can do as an individual that I am going to be impacted by a change. And I don't want to necessarily depend on my organization putting a proper change management program in place because like you and I just discussed, most organizations don't do that or they don't do enough to facilitate a change for someone. So what can an individual, not a leader, just someone on a team, do to make that change a bit easier for themselves? Well, as an individual, you can always reach out to your leaders. But it is true that sometimes those the leader or the manager or supervisor has limited amount of information because, you know, the information is trickling from the upper levels down. And before perhaps going into your manager is make sure that you go and read any emails newsletters, any correspondence that was sent out regarding the change that was coming. Try to make sure that you read that, get a hold of that, get a hold of any information that you can you can tap into. Then if you have questions, is go ahead and ask your, your manager, your supervisor. But remember, sometimes the managers or supervisors are, might, might be limited with the amount of information that they even have, right? So as an individual is how can you change your perspective that instead of going into a state of fear and recognizing that perhaps you're going into a state of fear, you go into a state of curiosity as being open to the new things that are going to happen. Because as individuals, whenever something gets moved on us, we tend to go into a fear mode and it's very automatic. So instead of going into that fear mode, it's to stop and really figure it out. Is it, what does it mean, the change that it's going to through the organization and to you 
How can you become part of the solution in adopting things better by opening up yourself to curiosity instead of carrying a negative energy? Because that is what conflict is all about, right? It's energy and it's poss possibly the most negative energy that you can think of aside from fear, right? Um, and stay, go into that state of energy of curiosity so that you can be fully aware of things. When people go into a state of fear, everything starts shutting down in their bodies. They stop hearing well, they start, their perception narrows, uh, anything in their body, you know, their cells, their organs start shutting down because they go into a state of, you know, I need to be ready because I need to defend myself. If you jump into a state of curiosity, you start opening up possibilities. You start opening up the way that you're interpreting things, uh, you know, figuring out different perspectives. With curiosity, you can ask questions instead of coming in uh, with negative information coming out of your mouth, but you can go into that state of curiosity, asking questions to be able to get and gain more momentum and information. And by in that process, start learning how to adapt to it, to really figure it out that it's not just, it's not gonna be a big deal. As long as you learn what you need to learn, as long as you adapt, as long as you work with the people you need to work with, then things are gonna start settling down and then you're just gonna start marching and moving forward with the new, with the new thing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love how you went into so much detail. And for anyone listening, they can truly look at it and apply it to their life. And what I also liked about what you just said is that, yes, we're talking in the context of you working in a career in an organization. doesn't matter what type of job it is. But then I can also see that being applied to our personal lives because change will happen in our lives all the time. People will come yeah. and go from our life, relationships, right? So you can apply the same things. How would you apply similar concepts to this or how have you applied these concepts into your own life to make your life better? Well, you know, first of all, it all depends, right? Because there could be changes that can bring with it a lot of pain, that can bring trauma, right? And, and when you're going through pain or trauma, it is not very easy to accelerate the process of, of going into curiosity. But having self-compassion, that is very important when you're dealing with change in your life, and it's creating a trauma of something that is very painful. You have to go to a state of compassion to be able to know that it is okay to go to a state of pain, to be in a state of tearing or crying, right? And be able to embark in that process of embracing that within yourself. You don't want to go into a self-compassion fully, but giving yourself some time. And then going into a space of inquiry of how you can move forward with the new reality that it's coming in front of you, little by little, you know, and that is where I invite you to become curious by you asking yourself questions instead of, you know, asking the questions outside to your manager, but it's mm -hmm. happening something to you, inquiring about what, you know, what does this mean to you, right? How am I going to be able to move forward with it? what have changed? What has not changed? What support system do I have around my life that can support me with that? You know, what else I can do? What, what better can come out of this situation, right? Because when we go into a very painful situation, we can only think of our pain and, and the negative impact that it has. But if you start opening up and saying, what, what good could this bring? You know, even yes. the most painful things that have happened to people can turn into something very positive. And the reason that I say that it is not only because I have gone through those myself, but because I also work in a piece of this field that it's called restorative practice. And, and I have been a mediator and a facilitator with what we use in the court system called restorative justice. And when you're dealing with an offender and a victim, and I have done uh, facilitated processes in, in mediating between people like this, and you would think, how in the world can a victim forgive the offender? And, and it has happened, you know, it has happened. I have had 
met people that have forgive not only the offenders to themselves, but somebody that might have done something bad to a, a, a relative. You know, there is a, a person that I met when, when I was uh, living in San Diego, California. Now I'm in the north side of, of, of California. And, and these men was a, an amazing man to this hour of the day. He is out giving talks about his forgiveness. He experienced having a son being shot while he was delivering a pizza because he was working for a pizzeria and, and he went to deliver a pizza and a teenager opened up the door. And the first thing that that, that kid did is to uh, shoot the person that was bringing the pizza. And this was a, a student from a university, you know, having a, a, a side job delivering pizza and this youngster went out and killed this, the, the son. These men found it in, in, in his journey and in, 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 in his inquiry to forgive the offender, to forgive the person, the, the child that had killed his son and realize that the, that child was a victim of society as well. That child was being raised by a grandfather because that child didn't have parents. The parents have died out of, of, out of drug overuse. And, and he realized that, you know, that based on the circumstances, it would have been more healing for his heart to be able to forgive. And what has come out of that forgiveness years after, like almost 10 years after, that not only the, the grandfather and him go out into the community to school to talk about this. And, and they chose that the life of his son was not going to be in vain, that he chose that he would use that to be able to promote this so that there wouldn't be that many that much violence in the community. So first, the grandfather of that child, uh, that teenager that ended up in jail, and actually he got prosecuted as an adult, um, you know, went out and, and gave talks to the community for years. Last thing that I heard is that this uh, teenager became an adult already and he's out of the facility. And now he's going out, the grandfather, the man that lost the son, and, and, these, and this guy that killed the son are going out into the community and giving talks. I'm sharing this because a lot of people would think I would never, I would never be able to forgive somebody that would have done such a thing to, to my child. And yes. it can happen and, and it can happen and it can be extremely transformative. That's why I love the work that I do. And I feel very blessed every morning that I, that I stand up because I know that what I'm doing not only does create an impact in the workplace, but it creates an impact on the people that I touch through the teaching, through the experience of the facilitated process and all the stuff that I do. Because not only these people become better leaders in the organization, they become better parents, they become better community members, they, they become better overall, right? Wow. What a powerful story and message there, Yvette. And I couldn't agree more. And what I got from that, I mean, I got so many things, but one of the things that stands out to me the most is the idea that the father, in the example you gave, made the choice, of course, after grieving and going through that process, but made a choice to see, can I turn this extremely negative thing that happened into my life into a positive? And I can imagine that not even him could realize how much positive impact that would have in the communities and how many potentially future offenders were kept off the streets or were kept from doing anything that would cause harm to others because they were inspired and empowered by these conversations. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is such a powerful message to anyone listening and to myself that, yes, tough things will happen and you can always look at the negative side because that will be obvious, that will be easy to see, but there's also a choice to look at the positive side of it and it may take time to find some positives and see how you can apply it into your life to then also not only make your life better from whatever happened, but those around you as well. And I love yeah. that message. And this field has that potential that the legal field does not have. You know, the legal field, it's a very punitive process, right? Where there's no such a thing as, as having, hum having the human deal with the situation and be able to resolve it 
in their own way, right? And and that is where in the in the in the community of business, it's also very important to see that yes, you there are pieces of things that you would have to do in order to protect your organization. But if you continue to, through dealing with these things through a very punitive way, because unfortunately the, the dispute system designs that all of the organizations have are HR, labor relations, equal opportunity, you know, the equal opportunity department, uh, whistleblower, all of these all of these systems that they have, they're extremely punitive. There is a process of doing a formal complaint, a process of an investigation. Either the investigation had a merit or it didn't have a merit, but never there is something that comes and transform the individual's uh, relationship. And what tends to happen is that when people continue working and being upset with each other, it affects everybody. It affects productivity. It affects the organization. And, and that's why I call it that with these type of uh, uh, systems, it creates a leak on the bottom line of the organization because high level leaders say, you know, I'm not going to deal with it. HR can deal with it. And yes, HR will deal with it, but it will deal with it by policy and procedure process. And they might most likely get rid of the person if they can, instead of helping to resolve the situation in a humanistic way that would lead that individual to transform, that individual to learn, get to learn more about themselves, get to learn more about the others that they're working with and be able to become more loyal to the organization because that organization care about their humanity. Oh, wow. Well, what a message, Yvette. I couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, most organizations are not doing that. Yeah, they're not. And they're losing an opportunity and they're losing money along the way. And it's money that it's leaking and they don't even see it. That's a powerful message. And I also think it's a beautiful way of looking at like a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Because if you're dealing with a punitive aspect of it, like you said, it's the idea that mistakes, no matter how bad they are, they are to be punished. They're to be hidden. They're to be get, get rid of, right? Instead of, like you said, more like, okay, there are some outcomes that come after making a mistake, but a lot of it can be a lesson. A lot of it can be, how can we take what we just learned to make it better for everyone involved? And that's the message you're giving as well. And I resonate with it so much. But the question is, how can organizations or leaders get to the point where they can do that in the workplace and not just default to the punitive way of approaching it? Well, you know, definitely they have to, uh, they have to embed it as part of the culture. I think that, you know, when you're talking about the culture of the organization and, and you look at from that standpoint, and then you bring mechanisms into the organization that can lead to that type of betterness and positiveness to the organization. The most that you're going to get, it's employees being, becoming more loyal because you're addressing that humanity piece of it. You're just not using the individual just as a machinery just to come in and, and, and produce and do the work. But you're also acknowledging that there's that part of the, of the equation that it's the humanity, right? Um, I know that uh, any organization have legal counsels. When I have gone into organizations to develop these type of dispute resolution programs uh, or conflict management programs, Sometimes legal counsel is the first one to be against it, right? And I understand, you know, they're seeing everything through the lens of risk. They're seeing everything through the lens of risk. But at the same time, not everything is dealt with risk. You know, you have humans in the organization that need that, that space in order to transform relationship. And while looking everything through the lens of risk, you, you become an organization that it is only uh, profit-driven instead of being able to be part of the community, be part of, of what you can bring into the community. And when organizations do this, they're, they're better looked into, into the, so, the society. You know, they, they look better. You know, people want to work for those organizations instead of just seeing a mechanical process of going into a company just to work and, and, and that people are not being care of. 
So I invite organizations to really consider this and talk to their legal counsel because they're the they're the ones that are the the how do you say the doorkeepers sometimes in, in order to 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 come in into organizations and explore this a lot of organizations do have not not many but some do have especially uh universities have what it's called ambuts and ambuts is very similar to what i do right but it's more elegantly said, an ombudsperson, it's that neutral third party that it's embedded inside an organization that it's gonna come in and try to help resolve human issues with people. But what I have found in, in my years being in this field is that those ombuds departments are negatively being seen by the HR legal counsel and all of that. Because in, in their vision, in their in their ways of thinking it's everything is run through risk and protecting the organization right without even realizing that if they take care of the humanity it would also work towards the positiveness of the organizational culture the loyalty and people wanting to continue to work there you know people that love to work with organizations they will tell their neighbors and be happy referring people out to the organization right and talking positively right exactly oh i love that message so much Yvette, and i resonate so much with it and i can't help but notice the parallels you can draw from that in the organizational level to our own lives and you touched on this before because if we always lead from a place of risk first ooh, what's the risk of me doing that or not doing that from the fear side of it we're also going to miss out on many chances to improve, right? It's, I would imagine it's very, very similar. And I, I can definitely see it in my life and how I used to be in the past and the people I surround myself with and I surround myself in the past. It's like the more you live from a place of fear or, like you said, this risk area, the less you have to gain overall. Like in the short term, it might be better because, oh, now I didn't risk this. But in the long term, what's going to happen? Right, exactly. And an organization has been functioning that way for many, many years. But the reality is that in the past four years, ever since the pandemic, individuals have changed. Individuals' needs have changed. And now organizations need to adapt to the fact that you cannot neglect anymore the human side of the people that you're working with. Because the most important asset in any, any organization is your people. It is not the product that you make. It is not the service that you make because if, it's, if it wouldn't be for people in the organization, none of that would have happened, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So the organizations that you've seen taking a different stance and doing more of what you would recommend, which is to mediate, to not be so quick to the trigger and say, you're fired, you're done, and change how have you seen them embrace this change? Because we talked about organizational change at the beginning, but this is on another level now, right? This is like literal organizational change that has to happen between many archaic departments or approaches. How have you seen organizations take that? Well, you could see it through the cultural change of the organization. You know, I have, I have developed this type of dispute systems designs uh, into organizations that are unionized. Imagine there's people in there that they're not going to go anywhere, right? Most likely. Um, I have worked with individuals inside those organizations that have been there for over 15 years and have used all of the punitive process in order to get even with the person that they don't like. So what happens is that every single department gets to spend, once a formal complaint comes into their table, they get to spend between 50 to 90 hours of their time in order to investigate something. And they, and, and they don't, and then the, the interesting thing is that sometimes all of these systems do not talk to each other. So labor relations does not talk to HR, HR does not talk to whistleblower. So the interesting thing is that once I went in and I start helping them to talk to, to each other, to figure out the figures and bringing out the data, because with data, you can help leaders see the benefit of what we're doing, right? Then that's when they're starting realizing that the same person was utilizing the same systems over and over and again 
accusing the same person, right? So what happens when they already exhausted the whole system? By that time, the organization probably spent, I don't know how many hours, maybe more than 200 hours of trying to investigate a situation that had no merits. And it was just that people just didn't get along. So I got the opportunity to go in, coach, you know, sometimes it all depends on, on the individual. You either coach them one-on-one to get them to a point in where they are in a space where they can mediate with a third person, third neutral person to talk to the other person. And through that process, make them realize that, you know, you guys are in a unionized system. Everybody's staying here because they want to catch on that pension, right? You know, and sometimes I would make them aware. Do you know that probably your high blood pressure had something to do with these every morning that you're coming in into work and being upset because you're going to have to deal with this person? You know, are you going to be able to get to your retirement and and catch out all of that retirement that you're thinking that you're going to have if you're going to continue with this type of behavior and with this type of fixed mindset that you, you don't like this person? Or will it be better to figure it out when was it the time that you started not liking this person so that you can start figuring it out that it is just your perception, perhaps an experience that you have with other person that, you know, this person might have reminded you of somebody because that is how conflict starts. You know, people call me when the fires are already here, but they don't realize that it might have started from the first day that that person came into the door. You know, that person perhaps nervous said something stupidly or something wrong, or the other person thought about this person, I don't like this person. They reminds me of somebody that I don't like, and then they forget about it, but they don't forget about the feeling, right? And that they don't like that person. And then years and years pass, years and years pass that they don't like that person. Yes, very much so. And I can definitely see how, in, especially with the union, like you said, it's such a difficult situation to be in because, of course, you cannot fire people most, most of the time. So how do you deal with it? And I love that you go down to the individual level because really that's what the problem always is. So if we work within ourselves and we work within those individual layers, we can now try to learn from those lessons, like you said, and, and do something that can improve the life of everyone that I interact with. Exactly. And, um, and I was going to mention that some organizations do have these uh, dispute systems designs that are, you know, less punitive, like conflict management, ombudsman, mediation, you know, all of that. But the one that has been researched the most is the United States Postal Service. For over 30 years, you know, around that time, uh, when they started having, you know, people going, going and shooting people inside the postal service, you know, they they ended up embracing the possibility of bringing mediators into the organization, and they started creating a program. And the program is with a one particular style of mediation, which is the transformative model, which is the one that I use the most, and that is what they they started utilizing so that people will have options. They're not negating that they have the right to do a formal complaint, but they also have the opportunity to go to the ladder and also be able to have somebody that can work with them on a one-on-one basis or that they could facilitate communication with other people, right? So USPS has been doing that for a while and, and it has been the only organization that has allowed universities to go in and do research studies on them. But it doesn't mean that other companies do not have it. They do have it. Not a lot of them, but especially the bigger companies, you know, uh, some of the Fortune 500 might have have it. I have it, yeah. But it's not common, right? It's not, it's more like the rule rather than the exception. Or the other way around. It's the exception, not the rule, because it's not something that people are used to. Or like you said, most of the key departments see it as a risk. So, of course, it's going to be very hard to, to make it in. And I know you and mentioned the universities. You, you teach at different universities as well, right? Yes, that's right. Not only did I work myself for a university at one point, but I teach for three universities at this point. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And what, what subjects do you cover there? I cover, uh, I actually, in one of the Portland State University, I teach uh, courses in conflict management, mediation, uh, different types of mediation, family divorce mediation, peer-to-peer mediations for schools, and then the overall mediations. 
Um, in, in the other universities, they allow me to become uh, creative with the field of work that I have because I saw that there's a need. For example, I see a need in the HR field that HR, even though that their personalities are more humanistic, they don't have the skills. I went to an entire certificate program to figure it out why is it that HR was not doing the things that I was doing. And I realized that they're not trained in these pieces of the uh, piece of field. So what I developed, it's a course for HR to learn about conflict resolution and mediation, not only to the point of them being able to do it, but perhaps be able to work and bring out people from the outside or perhaps if they're gonna be involved with the EEOC type of mediation, which is a, a federal organization, when, when people go and put complaints about the, the company, that they'll know how to go about dealing with that and be familiar as with the, with the field of mediation. Um, I also developed a, another course in, the, in diversity, equity, inclusion, and HR, because I found it that it's, there was a need for HR to also be involved with this because when you're having groups of people getting together very informally to develop ERGs, you know, employer resource groups, affinity groups, the most that they're gonna be talking in there is very sensitive, high stake communication. And if people do not help to teach them how to facilitate these type of conversations, then, HR is going to end up with a lot of work in their desk because they're going to end up with a lot of formal complaints. Yes, absolutely. Right? So I found it yeah. a necessity that HR should get involved in one way or another. And also because HR is right in the middle of the organization that they could also be an influencers for the leaders to learn how to go about in implementing DEI programs in the organization. Because organizations just started allowing people doing whatever they wanted, right? Just get together with your group and this and that. But, you know, you also have to make sure that there's no mitigate risk, make sure that these things are done well, and make sure that indeed the leaders are involved in order for these type of initiatives to really stick. Because otherwise people are just doing this on a volunteer basis and there will be times that people either leave the organization or just get tired of doing this volunteer work and, and then nothing will get done, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's beautiful. So it sounds like a lot of subjects that are so important in creating the leaders that we want to see in the workplace. And not even just leaders, but individuals that will work in HR or other departments where they can have a big impact, not only in the organization, but the life of many individuals. Yes, and, and I think that that vision and that necessity that I that I get to see in organization comes from my experience with my own father, that he never had any formal education. He he barely barely went to second grade. He was an orphan from the age of seven, but he had his own business, and he was such a great leader that there the employees would be so loyal that they would take care of, of the business like if it was theirs. And having that experience as a father gave me the opportunity to see what else, what else is possible in organizations? What else can we do to make things better? You know, I would like to, just like anybody else, would like to have leaders that would, they would love to follow. You know, just like, just like the leader that my father was that created an impact even to the time that he passed away, it, you know, years passed and I would talk to the employees of my father and they would cry because he was such a kind man um, and, and he was good for his business. He was good with people and he was good with the employees. So I said to myself, if my father didn't have any formal education, okay, he was an orphan. He could have gone so much to the other side and be somebody with a lot of anger, and he chose not to. There are ways that we can transform leaders because I myself had had managers and supervisors that have bullied me, and it doesn't feel very nice. You know, I got to the point that I, my health got compromised 
because of, of being in those type of environments. So not only am I bringing you everything that I know through, through the level of my education and my master's degree and all the years that I have spent picking up all the certificates that you can think up in this area of the work that I do, but I also have my own personal experience and I also have that commitment that I built since I was young to, to wanting to see more leaders like my dad being in this world. Because I think that if we get to find more leaders that people want to follow, we definitely will be in a, in a different state of, of world, right? We will be in a different type of vibration. We will be, we will be better off. We will be a better world. We would be 100%. What a beautiful and inspiring story there. And to have such a role model in your life. And, you know, it helped you get to where you are today. And it emphasizes, for me at least, the idea that we have a choice. Like you said, your father could have selected or chosen so many different paths because of her, his circumstances, because of the lack of options, perhaps being an orphan, not going to school. But yet he made the choices to be the best version he could be. And then people love him for who he was. And you're right. If we had more people like that as leaders or even coworkers, imagine what the world would be. And I'm with you on this, that I believe that's possible. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing the work you're doing and I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing if we didn't believe that it's possible to have more people lead from the heart, more people lead with love first, not with fear, not with scarcity or anything else in mind. So I really love that message, Yvette. Wow, so beautiful. Yeah, and, and the reality is that if you calculate your, your awakened hours of your time, you spend almost 80% of your waking hours in, in the work. It doesn't matter if you're working online because you still you still have to deal with the people that you work with one way or another. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But beautiful. Learn so much in our beautiful conversation so far. I want to give you a chance to talk a bit about the book you wrote because I know that's made an impact as well. And I'm curious to see what you want to tell us about the book and what people can get from it if they were to read it. Well, the book is about helping people not to be afraid of conflict. That conflict, if you're trained and learn how to understand it, you're able to transform conflict. And that gives you another level of intelligence. Just like emotional intelligence came into our world, right, many years ago, um, I'm helping to bring a level, a notch up of emotional intelligence. Right. I, I remember working with a lot of uh, leaders and I will train, you know, I would check their emotional intelligence. Yet they will come to me and say that I'm still having difficulty having this difficult conversation. I'm still cannot sleep because I am dealing with a very conflicted employee or a manager. My manager is dealing with a very conflicted employee and I don't know how to help them. So because of that, I realized that I had developed this methodology that outmits people's emotional intelligence. And the idea with the book is to help you embrace conflict as something that can be transformative and something that could be dealt with a certain level of intelligence, right? With certain level of intelligence. And, and if when you embrace that, you don't see conflict as something negative. People tend to see conflict just like they see public speaking. If you ask an individual, right, they have done research. People would say public speaking is the most fierce thing of a human being. Same thing as conflict. Next to that is conflict, right? People don't like conflict. But my mission is to help people transform that vision about what is very common in everyday world, right, in the world. We, we're always having not only conflict with our own selves everything, every time that we wake up every morning, but we also have conflict outside of ourselves. But how can we not fear that, but yet be able to transform it? How can you become a person that you can be in, you can become it, you can become a conflict intelligent person, a, a leader, because everybody can be a leader. You know, it, I don't know if you have heard about the movie. Uh, it's called, uh, what is it? These Hispanic person that created these, uh, these uh, chips that were very spicy. I okay. think Flaming Hot. It's the movie oh, called Flaming Hot. Okay. And, and, um, and it reminds me so much that of, of my father, right? And it reminds me how he had an experience in where 
his boss, the CEO came over and talked to him and while he was a janitor. And as a janitor, he heard the boss said, act like a leader. Everybody here has to act like a leader or act like an owner of the company. And, and, and there he did. And he created this product that everybody likes, right? And then he ascended in the, in the organization and he's now doing public speaking. So for me, everybody can be a leader. And if we train people and we get them to a point that they can become better to resolve conflict, you know, these people will not be afraid of anything. The higher you go on the ranks of your organization, the more you're going to be dealing with people, the more you're going to be needing people's skills, right? Absolutely. I love that message. And I agree with you 100%. Anyone can be a leader and should be a leader in their own life. You don't need a title or a, you know, a, a fancy job to go with it or a fancy salary. You can be a leader in your own life. And that means you can inspire and empower others. And like in the example you gave, if you do it within an organization, more opportunities will come your way. And of course, even in your own personal life, if you actually take ownership, a lot more opportunities will show up for you. Yeah, that's that's right. And I mentioned in the book that Carol Jung, the famous uh, psychologist, said that he suspected that a lot of the people that were in front of him on the other side of the chair, of his chair, were people that in some way or another, they never did, never learned how to deal with conflict. And therefore, it became a psychological issue. Yes, yes. And I mean, I can definitely see that because conflict, at least the way I remember being raised in Eastern Europe, not necessarily by my family, but everyone around you, right? Conflict was to be avoided. And when you're young, I would imagine you learn certain ways to deal with conflict by maybe running away from it or hiding away because you're too small, maybe not strong enough to deal with it. So like you said, a lot of us don't have the skills because we never developed them. So. Yeah, these are one of the things that are not being that are not being taught or trained in any school. Barely now we're starting to hear some MBAs bringing conflict resolution into the into the curriculum, but we do not. And the skills that we learn are from social transmitted process. You know, you probably learn how to deal with conflict the way your mom deal with it or your dad deal with it. And then you kept it that way, or maybe perhaps a, a, a professor when you were growing up or somebody that you saw that they deal with. And you ran with the chances that most likely than not might not be the right way to deal with conflict, or it's a very limited skill set. And then you grow up, you go and get all the way to a PhD. And when things don't go well inside your organization, that is a skill set that you're going to be bringing which I call it an outdated skill set because probably it might have helped you and might have worked for you when you were young, but not when you're having a group of people that you're leading and all of the different conflicts are very different, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Awesome, Eva. Thank you so much for sharing that. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you, work with you, or of course your book, where can they find your book? Yes, they can find my book at Amazon. Uh, right now, uh, it is uh, in ebook, in hardcover book, and paper book. And, and most likely in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be releasing the audio book as well. And it's in English, and eventually I would like to translate into Spanish as well, which is my native language. Uh, as you can imagine, you can hear the accent. Um, and they can, work, they can Google me, Yvette Durazo, and they'll be able to find my YouTube videos in there. They'll be able to find websites, articles that I have written left and right. Because, you know, this field is not a new field, but it's a field that really needs to educate people, that, we, that people like me exist in, in, in the careers so that we can help organizations to, to build more positive organizations. Um, I also, uh, every other week, I provide a 45-minute uh, free, you can, anybody can come in, to learn micro-learnings in conflict management. And I also get to coach people whenever they, they ask me things on how to deal with situations. And I do it every other week so that they can experience me, they can see how it works and the transformation that it could work. Um, so they're welcome also to come. Uh, they can find that on my website, or I can also send you the link, and, and they can find it in the university side. They also have access to a chapter of my book. I am giving a free chapter of my book, chapter three, about people's 
skills. Um, and I also have other articles and things in there that I also give away. Awesome, Yvette. And yeah, we'll put all these links in the show notes. So for anyone interested, you'll find all the links, click on them, and you'll find more of the amazing work Yvette is doing. So Yvette, thank you so much for your time today. I've learned a lot. Some beautiful conversations in there. Thank you so much. No, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate this opportunity to share about my work that I do and, and perhaps be able to help organizations. Absolutely, Yvette. My pleasure. And I guess before we let you go and before we let the audience go, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't yet covered? I know there's so many things we touched on, but also I'm sure there's many that we haven't yet. Well, uh, you know, I'm also open to going and, and do speaking. I, I do. I go to organizations. I go to associations, to small group of, of, of people in associations that they would like to hear about the conflict intelligence uh, methodology and the, and the theory. I'm open for that. If they're, you know, interested, you know, they can reach out to me and I am open to doing some speaking as well. Awesome, Yvette. Perfect. Well, we'll let people know and we'll see what comes out of it. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this exploration of personal transformation. Your presence and engagement are at the heart of what we do. And I sincerely appreciate you, your time and thirst for knowledge, inspiration and empowerment. Please consider showing your support by hitting like, subscribe, leaving a comment or writing a review. Your engagement not only fuels our mission, but also helps others discover these insights. For more daily guidance on personal transformation across the mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical realms, be sure to visit our website at unleashthyself.com. You can also find us on Instagram at unleashthyselftoday, TikTok and YouTube at unleashthyself, and there we post daily content designed to inspire and empower you on your journey. If you have any specific thoughts, questions, or feedback, I truly value your input. Or if you'd like to have a conversation with me, or work with me, please feel free to email me directly at constantine at unleashthyself.com. I would love to hear from you. Together, we're building a community united in authenticity and purpose. Once again, thank you for being a part of this movement. Until next time, continue to embrace your true self and live a life on purpose with purpose. See you in the next episode.